gentlemen, welcome to season two of Center Stand, the motorcycle industry podcast that's produced by the Progressive International Motorcycle Shows and hosted at continuetheride.com. It's an exciting year. IMS Outdoors is going to be launching their inaugural 10 market tour, 100% outdoor shows. That series is going to kick off this summer, so make sure you uh, stay tuned for updates on that. Watch out for IMS Outdoors announcements coming up. So last season, we covered a wide variety of subjects, um, but our focus on season two is really to start to deliver some tactical solutions for our listeners, right? Uh, Those of you in the power sports world are looking to increase sales, draw in more customers, and more attention to your brands in 2021. So that's really what we're going to be focusing on in season two. We hope to pepper in a few celebrity guests. So Ryan Reynolds, give us a call. Ringy dingy. All right. We want to kick off the first episode with a conversation addressing the challenges of keeping dealers and retailers uh, keeping their attention so they don't just lay awake in the middle of the night seeking out solutions that they hear them from us. How to engage with customers, um, getting products and supplies from manufacturers, keeping the industry momentum going. Uh, got a little bit of data points just to kind of keep in the back of your head here. Um, third quarter motorcycle and scooter sales were up double digits and year-to-date sales of new motorcycles and scooters in the U.S. through September increased 10.2 percent from 2019, which is pretty awesome. Obviously, we all know that uh, the whole social distancing uh, joke that the motorcycle is the original social distancing tool, uh, and uh, some of us have had some great opportunities with that increase in attention, but we got to keep it going. So, To talk about that subject, I want to welcome our guests, Todd Baldwin, GM of Coin Power Sports, and Chris Sackett, president of Fast House. Chris, I'm going to start with you. Why don't you give us a little bit of your background and what you're doing with Fast House right now? Yeah, my background starts uh, back in the beginning, 17 years old, right out of high school and wanting to race and and basically not not being able to afford it. So uh, quickly got a job at a motorcycle shop in order to at least get 50% off parts and, and accessories. And, <laughs> and that uh, that kind of snowballed in, into sourcing helmets for our dealership. And that led to a job working for Bell Helmets for 17 years. Um, collaboration with Bell Helmets and Fast House turned into an opportunity here at Fast House. And so even though I'm only 25 years old, I've been in the industry <laughs> you know, about 23 years, I think, something like that. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. You guys are good at math. Uh, right, right, right out of the womb. You are, uh, you are doing some interesting math already. That's good. <laughs> awesome. And, and so I want to ask you a question before we introduce our next guest here. But in, uh, in the past year's experience here, what was the most uh, challenging uh, part of the pandemic for you, I mean, you you have to lean on suppliers. You had to lean on shipping. You had to lean on distribution in the U.S. A lot of different challenges. But what was sort of the biggest challenge you had to deal with, sort of in the aftermarket world? Yeah, I just think it's feel, uh, feeling like we're letting our our customers and our dealers down, um, mm-hmm. just because of inventory and getting enough product. So biggest challenge is just kind of overcoming supply chain constraints and uh, doing our best to learn from it and uh, not let it happen again. I think 
I think we've got a lot of new newcomers to the sport, and I don't think this is going to stop anytime soon. So just making sure that we're getting ahead of ourselves uh, and making sure that we kind of tackle that. Gotcha. All right. Our other guest uh, coming in more on the uh, direct dealer side of things is our friend Todd Baldwin from Coin Power Sports. Um, and a little precursor to that, Coin Power Sports out on the West Coast. These are all the different categories they sell. The sports side-by-sides, ATVs, utility side-by-sides, dirt bikes, street bikes, watercraft, slingshots, scooters, toy hauler RVs, trailers, golf carts, and power equipment. Uh, slingshot is mi- mixed in with that. The the whole world of motorcycling and a ton of different brands. Yamaha, Kawasaki, Suzuki, Canon. I could go on and on and on. It's like almost every single brand in uh, power sports seems to be represented here. Todd, give us a little bit of the background of how you got to be in charge of this many different categories and things in power sports. Well, I guess it, it starts back when I got into the industry and uh, I uh, was fortunate enough to, uh, you know, get bit real early as the, as most of us did, started, uh, uh, you know, racing at an early age. Uh, I raced professionally for about 10 years, um, uh, got hurt a good few times, and decided to apply all of the, the goals that I put into place in the business, or into racing, into business. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, been pretty fortunate to, to manage uh, multiple high power volume dealerships in Southern California. Um, uh, pretty fortunate to partner with uh, with the Coin family here uh, to manage the dealership in uh, in Banning, California. So, but I do want to mention, Todd, that you've also had work that was on a national level. It's not like you were just a only a West Coast guy. Is that right? Uh, that's correct. I've worked for a couple manufacturers on the uh, the OEM side uh, for Suzuki as a district sales manager and Can-Am as well. All right. So even though both of these guys are are dealing with uh, the West Coast in their daily existence, I want our listeners to know that we are paying attention to national level issues here. So um, Todd, uh, following up on Chris's statement about supply challenges in 2020 with Obviously, you must have seen some of the same at the dealer level. Um, can you go through like what were some of the more difficult uh, uh, things to deal with at the dealership level last this last year? Oh, we absolutely did. <clears throat> so we had manufacturers close down facilities in April and May. Uh, we had Can-Am and Polaris, uh, which is a, a core part of our business where their manufacturing plants were in Mexico. And uh, Mexico had shut down those facilities that directly impacted any additional allocations that were already ordered, where we had inventory that was scheduled to come, uh, automatically was shut off. Mm. Uh, Watercraft was uh, Yamaha and Sidu. Both had cut back their orders because of factory closures as well. So it impacted us big time. Were there any brands that, uh, out of all the different categories and brands, were there any like sort of brands that stood out as being more aggressive or like sort of seeing the light? I mean, it's easy to look back now and go like, well, of course people are gonna buy motorcycles. But uh, at the time, I remember back in April, I mean, it was like 
pretty scary, right? And and everything was shut down. And I know a lot of uh, dealers were were having to furlough staff and stuff like that. But were any of the brands that you're involved with, did they um, sort of lead the recovery faster than others? So I think it was a challenge for all of the manufacturers as it continues to be a challenge. Uh, you're right, once we moved into April uh, and we started to see uh, our demand and floor traffic increasing uh, with the uh, with the pandemic, with the closures, um, it led to you know those furloughs that we had for the, the first three weeks. Uh, you know when our governor had uh, put the stay-at-home orders in play. So fortunately, being an essential business, uh, we were able to keep our doors open, but we did have to make some adjustments. Uh, but ultimately, I think all of the manufacturers, uh, you know, started to realize that they were not able to supply the type of demands that were soon coming around the corner, uh, leading into May, June, and July. Mm, interesting. And so, do you think it was a, a, just by um, by virtue of what everybody was dealing with at the same time, was it largely the same from all manufacturers coming in, like dealing with supply issues and stuff like that? Was everybody universally across all your different brands were having the same challenges at the same time? Is that right? Yeah. So if, if we take a look at uh, pre-pandemic, the power sports industry was you know, still trying to recover uh, from the financial crisis that you right. know, back in 2008, the power sports industry never fully recovered. So with the, uh, the manufacturers ordering uh, structures, uh, most of the dealerships were, I don't want to say in a conservative mode, uh, but were doing their forecasting on a realistic manner based off of previous year sales. Mm -hmm. So when the change hit for us, Going into mid-April, we started to see uh, the the change of demand for product for uh, you know any of the off-highway product of dirt bikes, trail bikes, side by sides, and watercrafts. So we found ourselves in a position where we're now trying to locate inventory uh, from our dealer network since we weren't able to secure the product from the manufacturer. Uh, to suffice the the newfound demand that we have for for the inventory. Mm, okay, so I'm going to get out of the rearview mirror, and we're going to start looking through the windshield, uh, looking forward at this point. And uh, Chris, I want to ask you, um, you know, we're we're at the point now where we have, you know, humans are are clearly the best animal on the planet in in so far as being able to adapt. Maybe cockroaches got us beat. I'm not sure, but at least we have thumbs. And so, uh, um, Chris, as business has adapted to what our current situation is, looking forward, obviously you guys had to change the way that you reached out and started talking to your own customers and building your audience. How has that changed the most in, in the last few months for you guys? Yeah, it's it's been much different than in the past. I mean, uh, our business is very heavily revolved around event participation and going out and being around our customers and and really just hadn't having fun um so it's been really tough last year we did 
maybe 10% of the events we've done in the past. So engaging with our customers real time was really, really tough. Um, it kind of pushed us, to, us in, into more of a content um, position where we were just making more content and putting it out there and getting everybody stoked about writing. You know, we, we couldn't be out there with everybody, but, you know, coming out with inspiring content um, and just creating something for people to kind of reflect on and and then in, inspiring them to go out and ride. And, you know, obviously a lot of people had time on their hands, time on their hands. And uh, we saw a huge surge in participation just because, you know, people want to get out and do something um, locked up, couldn't go on vacations. I couldn't travel uh obviously all played in the benefit of the motorcycle industry but uh um, and, and so the uh one question i have is did, within your own staff were you able to find um the talent uh within your own existing staff to start to do that i mean were there ideas that were just sitting just under the surface that all of a sudden sort of really resonated with your brand or was it something that you had to go to an outside source and uh and try and gin up some new ideas no being a fairly uh, small business um uh, we and we very heavily uh rely on content and events we kind of just shifted a lot of our our focus uh away from events and more to producing content and doing new projects um, and just, you know, like you said, we as humans adapt pretty quickly. And I think you've seen it through the pandemic just in every facet of life that everybody's adapting. Um, mm -hmm. It's just amazing that we're all sitting where we are, where we are as we speak um, with through all this. And it just shows the true, uh, you know, ability to adapt. So internally, you're, you guys adapted your own staff, I assume, to kind of the new way of doing business. Yeah, and we, you know, we're continuing to do so. Um, I think we're in a, a unique position, like I said, because, um, you know, we are, you know, four or five years into our business. Uh, and the way we operate is mostly around events and content. That's our marketing. Um, and so we just kind of shifted. When, when we couldn't go out to an event, we just uh, kind of shifted that focus on into other things. So Todd, on the at the dealership level, um, you know we're not doing weenie roasts on the weekend to try and draw people in anymore, right? Um, how how did you guys sort of change how you are, how you addressed existing customers and sought out uh, new customers, and is that sort of thing going to carry on even as we get into recovery? Right. So uh, a lot of the changes that we made initially. Uh, was a uh, we marketed as a black label door-to-door uh, -door delivery program, mm -hmm. and we we tried to to emphasize that we'll bring the dealership to you. Uh, so that was you know to uh, to have those concerns of uh, um, you know interacting and uh, in the you know being in the confines of the dealership. Um, as as we you know continue to. Uh, you know, move forward, uh, you know, for sure, those weekend type promotion events are, are non-existent. Um, social media uh, continues to be uh, a big part of the, uh, of the program. Um, different from that is some of the online platforms that we have with our, basically with our website, uh, with the web banners, on the the platforms such as uh, Trader Online, etc., of uploading our inventories, 
uh, that's really been key for the marketplace because we have the consumers uh, um, are at home and they they are on those computers and, and, and cell phones heavily. So it's it's critical the sales managers here uh, they make a point on any time that new inventory arrives, it is uploaded immediately. And uh, as, as the market has changed from a buyer's market to a seller's market, uh, it, uh, it's really made a, a big impact of making sure that the product is uploaded on a, a quick quick manner. So has that, the resulting the resulting um, side of doing more business online means that's probably the radius of your customers has increased. Is that right? It has. Uh, mm. I, I was just taking a look at some of the business that you know we have done here uh, earlier today and, and over the weekend, and uh, you know we're, we've got a 50 mile radius of where we're drawing up customers. Since inventory is still as, as limited as it is, uh, consumers are they're searching, and the, the traditional uh, customers that were calling up and, and asking if you had inventory and what's your best out-the-door price has now changed to do you have the inventory and will you take a deposit to secure the vehicle so it's there when I, I come to pick it up. Do you think that's, uh, you know, if, if the footprint of your business has effectively gotten bigger, obviously everybody's has at that point, do you think that's something that you're going to, um, you know, if we try and project a year ahead from now when things are back to whatever new version of normal we have, um, is that something that's going to continue with you guys? Or do you think that's something that's, that you're going to retract back into your own uh, uh, more localized DMA? Well, I think it's important as far as that 20-mile 15 mile radius is concerned to always take care of your uh, your immediate backyard consumer. There's no question about it. Uh, but most definitely, Coin Power Sports has uh, two dealerships. Uh, so we have one that's in uh, South San Diego and El Centro, uh, and we're in uh, you know, East Riverside area in the Inland Empire. Uh, so between both stores, uh, you know, we have uh, really built that type of uh, uh, background of side-by-side -side and off-road uh, watercraft. Again, you, you did mention the, the broadness of the, the products that we carry. Mm -hmm. uh, so we try to have that one-stop superstore uh, atmosphere. Um, so I don't see us changing. Uh, I, I believe that going forward that we're gonna continue with that same momentum. Uh, and I think that's the type of momentum that all dealerships uh, need to focus on, on continuing with the type of success that we've been able to, uh, to establish, uh, you know, through challenging times and, uh, and keep the momentum going. Right. So, Chris, um, as you know, I was looking through the catalog of the stuff that you have and um, the, you know, there's cycling and moto as well. Uh, and you've got a, there seems to be a pretty good representation for kids apparel. Is that something that, uh, was an increased focus for you guys this year? That sort of selling to the family. Like I know if I'm online and I'm going to buy, uh, you know, a moto Jersey for myself and I see one that's kind of cool and I want to buy it for my nephew, I'll just, you know, I'll just buy two in the, you know, different sizes and, 
and send them off. It's almost easier to spend more money that way, uh, you know, online. So did you guys see that kind of bump in family sales, I'll call it? Yeah, absolutely. I got it in my notes to talk about that. We saw a big spike in youth uh, demand. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, obviously families going out, buying bikes and kind of what uh, what um, Tony said over at Coin is, you know, you cannot find bikes. I, I bought or tried to buy two bikes for my kids. Uh, everybody sold out. Um, and, uh, you know, it, our gear for use youth has been really tough to keep in stock um it kind of segues into what i wanted to comment on just really ensuring that you know the industry is actually um, taking advantage of that um because without new participation and you know i've always feared the lack of participation with youth as we lose them to video games and whatnot so seeing the demand that we saw through covid uh, as bad as the pandemic has been it's been nice to see families and youth getting out riding learning to ride and once you ride i think we all know we all grew up first time we rode we were hooked right so having so many new participants come out and try motorcycling mountain biking whatever uh, what have you um has been pretty awesome and we've seen a huge demand and that's one of the big areas that we are uh gearing up towards to make sure we have that product in stock hmm. and todd you guys sell Stasic, is that right? Is that and and obviously you know Honda small dirt bikes and stuff like that. Um, do, uh, certainly there was equal attention to youth riding, but um, do you guys have plans to um, kind of continue to uh, like fertilize that market? I mean, you know, when kids see other kids doing cool things, they want to go do the cool thing, right? And so, um, is that going to be a, a focus for you guys going forward? Yeah, most definitely. Uh, you know. This- it's harvesting the uh, the future, uh, uh, you know, enthusiasts. It's interesting. I uh, had a nice conversation with Mike Grant uh, over the weekend, and uh, uh, his son Josh Grant. I'm sure a lot of us know from his uh, professional days, and so he's got a couple kids that are, are now racing that they're taking to the uh, to the local racetrack. And uh, Mike was telling me that uh, last weekend at Glen Helen. Uh, for a slot moto event, there were over 900 entries at that event for one wow. day. They wow. had used both facilities, uh, and it was it was an amazing turnout. So, uh, so a little bit of that momentum, because uh, Chris is absolutely right as far as the, the youth demand. Um, I don't have a youth vehicle on my showroom floor. Uh, as I mentioned earlier, once a unit comes in, we post it online. Uh, the, the rate of turn of inventory, uh, it's, it's not gauged by 30 or 60 days. It's gauged by, yeah, you know, 72 hours now. Wow. And so um, uh, a lot of that entry-level marketplace, uh, you know, it is a, a good time for the industry to uh, continue to harvest that, have a good selling experience. Uh, we do quite a bit of sales training uh, here at the dealership to make sure that uh, uh, there's a good experience. Uh, you know, we, uh, uh, we're a fast house dealer uh, within our dealership. And one of the things that we extend is our sales staff has a walkthrough once you do purchase a new vehicle and you get introduced to the accessory department. 
and you'll get introduced to the different type of apparel and gear uh, that's available to you to make sure that, uh, uh, you know, either if it's a young rider or somebody buying a brand new YZ450F, uh, it's time to get outfitted with new safe gear. Right, right. So, uh, Chris, as I think about how the industry is going to change and your experience of being a, you know, a 17 year old kid who kind of, you know, figured your way into being an executive in the motorcycle industry, looking forward in the next few years, what if, if, uh, you know, somebody relatively young were to come up to you and say, how do I become an executive in the motorcycle industry or how do I, um, you know, what is some of the most valuable skill sets coming up in the next few years? What would you, what would you say to that, uh, that young uh, man or young lady? I think it comes down to passion, passion for the sport. I mean, I haven't seen a whole lot of people be successful in this industry without it. Um, Mm -hmm. I'm sure it's possible, but you know, whether it's passion for the sport or passion for winning, um i think passion is what the root of everything um you know hard work it it's really hard uh todd can attest i mean it's hard to find hardworking individuals these days mm-hmm. um but once you find someone with that passion uh that hard work comes along with that and i think um you know and just a willingness to learn um the one thing is you know there's not a whole lot of opportunity to sit down and just learn uh textbook style you got to learn on the job and you got to be willing to you know be proactive and and jump in and and figure things out um i can tell you probably you know it's been very rare that anybody sat me down and walked me through how to run a business or walked me out to run any do anything in my 25-year career it's uh all about searching out and figuring it out yourself uh, to be honest and just having that drive um you know, I think it's important to have, if you want to be, you know, somewhere at the top, uh, it's important to have the experience, whether it's, you know, I think it's important to work at retail, um, absolutely understand what the customers are looking for and how uh, a dealership operates. Because without understanding how a dealership operates, you're not going to be able to run, uh, you know, an aftermarket company, that's for sure. Um, I think one of the benefits of myself and the people I've hired around me is that they've all had retail experience and we can completely understand the pinch points of uh, a dealership and actually play into that and make sure that we are serving up what they need. And I think that's been a big blessing for me is have had that retail experience for almost nine years. Um, so, so to summarize, if you had a stack of resumes for any given position in there and um, and one of those resumes showed you know, sales floor, retail, dealership level experience, that person is more than likely going to be the one who gets the job if they're all roughly equal. Is that right? It depends on what position they're going for. But Mm -hmm. I think having that retail experience within a motorcycle dealer is super beneficial. Um, I mean, it's just everything, you you know, and you said sales staff. I think sales staff is one of the, they interact with the customers quite a bit, you know, Um, you know, parts counter, guys you know understanding aftermarket products and the needs and uh i think that's super important but yeah i mean if if someone comes in no experience within the motorcycle industry um you know it depends on what kind of position they're looking for but you know you know operations you know marketing sales uh it all depends on what they're looking for I'll tell you, one of the mistakes I made in my early part of the career is I worked uh, at a Yamaha dealership up in Dallas, and it was my first 
I, I hung out at the dealership so much that eventually the sales guy was like, geez, man, just come work here, would you? You know, and so so anyway, I, I did that. I, I sold uh, Yamaha bikes um, up in Dallas and I failed when I was young to fully understand the back end business of it, the finance side of it and the, uh, you know, the different ways dealers both make money and save money and that kind of thing. So, Todd, I'm not looking to, you know, train your best employees out of there, obviously, but um, uh, on your uh, dealer, uh, you know, within the dealerships there, um, what is it that prepares somebody to, you know, uh, move up to work at a national level or work in more of a regional level because you've you've done that you've gone from from being in a, a you know in a relatively local job to national and regional and that sort of thing what are what are the most important skill sets somebody can take out of a dealership experience in your opinion to move up to a, a national level job uh, i think chris kind of touched on that uh, you know the biggest key is your passion uh you know being a power sports enthusiast uh, uh you know when you are engaged with a consumer and you are passionate about the product that you're selling, you come through, you come through genuine. Uh, so with, with that in mind, it, uh, it just makes the whole experience a, uh, a stronger experience uh, for not just the consumer, but it also strengthens the, uh, the salesperson as well. So as that continues to, uh, to grow, uh, it, again, it's a very competitive market. Uh, sales training is something that, as I mentioned, uh, you know, we, we concentrate fairly heavily on, uh, but we also have a very competitive environment. Uh, so uh, I think that you know, the, uh, the cream rises to the top. Uh, those individuals that have aspirations, uh, they're, they're the ones that you know, may uh, pursue those types of opportunities when they're uh, presented to them, but they're, they're not going to fall in your lap. Uh, it is something that you have to uh, create relationships. For me, I created relationships with other uh, corporate district managers, uh, with national sales managers. At, at you know, back in the day when we actually had uh, conventions. Uh, hopefully, we'll we'll get back to those relatively soon, uh, where you could network with upper management within the, the manufacturer side. Yeah, we were touching on this earlier, how small this industry is. So I encourage anybody who's young or moving up in the motorcycle industry to realize how small it absolutely is that you have to have that passion as both of these industry leaders have touched on. Uh, you have to have the hustle uh, that is something that never, ever, ever goes out of style. Uh, and you got to realize that, you know, somebody who maybe is just a, you know, a, 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 a freelance parts rep and, you know, and is coming in trying to uh, sell you a few widgets across the counter uh, within short order could end up being, a, you know, a marketing director at another company and that sort of thing. It all happens pretty fast around here. So building those relationships, Todd, I think that's a that's a great uh, point up there. So last question, and this is going to go out to both of you guys. This is a question we always ask on this podcast, uh, and that is if you were to stand in front of the entire motorcycle industry 
and uh, be able to say to them, I'm talking about the senior managers, the leaders at the OEM level in the aftermarket, that sort of thing. And you are able to make a single point to the industry at the same time. Um, what is it you would want to say to them, you know, within uh, within a few sentences? Todd, I'll, I'll start with you. I think the, uh, the word is optimism to continue with the momentum that the industry uh, is attaining at this time. Uh, it is something that we need to continue to work with the manufacturers on securing the inventories for the demand that we have, uh, continue to, uh, to strive to attain the type of sales results that the power sports industry uh, you know, can obtain. The youth industry is, is still that market that we all need to continue to address. As we mentioned earlier with, uh, with the state decline, uh, it leads right into the, the full line that we have for the manufacturers on the, on the youth side of product. Uh, the customer satisfaction selling, it's got to be. Uh, you have to take care of your customers. Uh, so you sell them one time, they continue to come back to them if you take care of that customer on that selling experience. All right, Chris, what's your answer? Ch chatting with the entire industry at one time. I know you wouldn't be at a loss for words. No, no, first kudos to the manufacturers making side-by-sides um, <laughs> because I think they've brought a lot of families into the sport and uh, that kind of touches on what I focus on mostly would be Cultivating the youth, planting seeds for future generations, super important. I think it's the most important thing we can do. You know, it's it's hard to get a 40-year-old guy to get out and ride a motorcycle for the first time, but I, I still think we need to focus on that too. You know, ma making sure kids in their 20s, young adults, 30s and 40s, super important, inspire people to get on motorcycles, do whatever it takes to keep motorcycling cool. Um, there's been some, you know, probably less than cool things done over the last 10 years. But keep it cool. Uh, get people's attention by by um, showing motorcycling and you know off road and everything, uh, UTVs and how much fun you can have and just plant those seeds with the youth. The side by sides. I know a lot of people hate them. You know, well not a lot. There are people out there that that don't like them. Uh, I think they're amazing. I think it's brought a lot of new families to the sport. I know many many families brought into the sport. The next thing you know, they're buying a dirt bike for their kid. They're buying quads. Uh, and they're just getting outdoors more and more often. And, you know, hats off to my good friend, Matt Schumann over at Stasic and that company, they're doing wonders. They are bringing a lot, a lot of new kids into the sport. Um, yeah, it's just, it's amazing. That would be my big, my big thing. It, the OEMs lean into that as much as you can. Uh, and let's get more kids on bikes, more families out um, doing their thing. Excellent advice from both of you guys. I want to back that up myself in saying that if we do not take the opportunity to continue to cultivate this youth audience that we were um, fortunate to have grow in this past year, then we've failed ourselves. We really have to step up that game and do everything we can to keep that going because this first wave of kids who got the dirt bikes during the pandemic 
uh, when they're going back to school and telling stories with their buddies out there, they're going to be talking about their new dirt bike. And that's going to make everybody want one of those out there. So I want to thank our two esteemed guests, Todd Baldwin, GM of Coin Power Sports out in California. Two locations. Go visit both. Wear your mask. And Chris Sackett, president of Fast House uh, Motorcycle Apparel. Uh, really cool kit. Uh, some nice stuff. Um, check them out as well. Uh, thank you both for joining us. I want to uh, encourage all of our listeners to follow us on LinkedIn. Uh, we're going to sneak peek into upcoming episodes, uh, news from IMS, IMS Outdoors. Uh, we're excited to be back here on season two, walking through tactical ways to support our amazing industry uh, and working together to keep this momentum going. If you have any topics you would like to discuss during the season, you can reach out to us directly at IMSPR at informa.com and our up upcoming e-newsletter is going to be coming to an inbox near you features articles we dive into our discussed topics uh, and we start to bring up some other new ideas so just subscribe that's free and easy at continuetheride.com thank you gentlemen both of you i appreciate it all the best to you in 2021 May the new year bring happiness and health to your family and your businesses. Guys, take care. Thanks very much. Thank you. Thank you.